Well, good morning. Uh, once again, I'll tell you, we are so glad that you're here. If you're joining us online and you can hear me, I know we were having some technical difficulties with the sound, but if you're online and you can hear me, good morning. If you're a guest today, welcome. We are so glad that you're here for uh, a special day today as we are doing a child dedication. I love days like today. Uh, I just feel like it breathes so much life into our church and we are dedicating 12 kiddos today. 12. Isn't that awesome? Uh, 12. It originally was going to be 14, but two of ours kind of forgot about the deal, and I don't blame them because I forget things that aren't written on my arm. So uh, I don't blame them one bit for that. But we've got 12 kiddos today, and I'm super excited about that. And so just to kind of talk real quick logistically about how this is going to take place, parents that are participating with your child, obviously, during the last song, we're going to go get your kiddos, and they're going to come over to you. And then if you are participating in today's dedication service, what we'd like you to do is kind of line up back there uh, along the bar, okay? Because at one point I'm going to introduce you. Uh, I know that you're going to love that, but it's really to get your kiddos' names out there to everybody so they can put a face with a name and then just let them know who the parents are, that type of thing, before we get started. And so if you'll line up over there, Jericho will meet you over there, and she's, I'm sure, going to put you in some sort of order, and it'll be a great time. But just want you logistically to know about that. Without any further ado, we are going to continue. We are in week four of our series, The Family of God, and we are looking at the story of Abram, or as you may more likely know him, Father Abraham, right? Had many sons. I was going to bring James up here and make him do the whole thing. Right foot. I'm just kidding. But after the destruction of Babel, which we talked about last week, we quickly move hundreds of years through the genealogy of Shem. And if you've ever read a genealogy before, you probably fell asleep or thought, you know what, I'll just skip this. Uh, and I don't blame you because it's just a bunch of names and dates and connections and things like that. But it's important for our story today. And what takes place eventually is we get to, the, to a man by the name of Abram who, like I told you, we refer to more often after a holy name change by Abraham, okay? And what we see in Abraham's story is election, God's election. It's not the first time we see it in scripture, but it's something that we really see clearly with the story of Abraham. Now, today, what I want you to understand about election is this, that we are defining election simply as a choice made by God. Because at its roots, that's what election is. It is a choice made by God. Election, at its core, is a biblical design pattern. It is something that we see take place in Scripture over and over and over again. It began in the beginning with God choosing Adam and Eve. It moved on very quickly after they kind of screwed things up to God choosing Noah. And as we saw with Noah, he kind of screwed things up fairly quickly as well. And even though his descendants repopulated the earth, hence the genealogy of Shem, they kind of screwed things up also. So we get to Abraham. We get to Abraham. And that's what we find in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, where we're going to start today. And that's what these verses have to say. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, this interaction, like I said, is extremely important. Here's why it's important. Because if we look at the genealogy of Shem, there have been 10 generations that have passed from Shem and Noah's time all the way to when Abraham here is present. That means that 
It's been hundreds of years since God has audibly spoken or really had a conversation with anybody on the world, on the planet, on the world planet, on, we're going to say planet. We're going to go with planet. It's been 10 generations since God has had a conversation with anybody. And he spoke directly to Abraham. And what he does is he decides to bring about for the world a blessing once again through family ties. Family ties. God is all about connection. And so a covenant is made. Abraham, go. That's the first part. That's the stipulation, right? The thing that holds us to the covenant. Go. What he's really asking Abraham to do is have faith. Abraham, place your faith in me. Place your trust in me. Go. Leave everything and everyone that you know. Okay? Leave everyone. Did something get... What what happened? I saw some light. I didn't know if it was an angel. I thought for a second like I was touched by an angel situation. I was ready to lay hands. I didn't know. Okay. So, right now, what we see... I lost my spot. Where am I? Hmm. Here's what he said. He said, Abraham, go, right? And what he's asking Abraham for is for his trust, for his faith, for his focus. Abraham, follow me. And if you do that, then the benefits of this covenant are that I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. This is the third time in scripture, fourth time really, that we've seen be fruitful and multiply just in some different words. If you obey me, if you follow me, I will bless you. I will bless the world through you. Things will be great. Now, Abraham does well in this instance. His response is immediate. He packs up, gets all of his stuff together, takes his wife, Sarai, who's like a second or third cousin, if that makes you weird. I I don't even know why I threw that in there, but I thought I'd just tell you. So if you're married to your second or third cousin, you're fine. Right, Abraham, I'm going to stop. Abraham gets up immediately. He gets up, he packs up, and he goes. Here's what I want you to understand about election through this. Election is not absent of faith or action. Election is not absent of faith or action. There is a camp out there that says election is the divine plan of God. And regardless of what we do or what we say or how we behave, that plan will come to fruition. Now, what I would tell you is that, uh, how do I say this appropriately? That's a a load of bull. (laughs) Was that, a, was that good enough? That's, I, I mean, I just I see no support for that in Scripture. None. And I don't see any support from that in the Scripture that we've read so far in this series. He chooses Adam and Eve, right? That covenant is based on their action and their faith. And what do they do? They screw up. They eat what they're not supposed to eat. So eventually we get to the point where God's like, hey, I'm just going to flood everything. Remember we talked about that. How does it go from be fruitful and multiply to now drown and die? And it was because of the evil of their hearts. And he said, hey, I'm done. Flood it. We're going to restart. And he establishes this covenant with Noah. And Noah does well. He builds the ark. He has faith. He he has the action. He's doing everything he's been called to do. And then the minute he gets off the boat, he gets drunk and lies naked in his tent. Right? And then one of his sons covers him up because he thinks, this is my dad. You know, his business doesn't need to be out there. Let's cover him up. And then Noah gets mad at him and curses him. You will be a slave to your brother for the rest of your life. Oh, cool. Let's see if I ever put a blanket on you again, old man. Right? But eventually, guess what? Things, they don't go so well. We get to Babel, and everybody's like, hey, God told us to be fruitful and multiply and spread throughout the earth. That's his plan. We've got a better one. 
we're going to build a tall tower. We're all going to speak the same language. We're going to stay right here and everybody will live perfectly. And God says, yep, that's not what I called you to do. Disperse, right? Wrong. (laughs) Not going to happen. So now we get to Abraham. We get to Abraham. So we see that that idea, that election is just this plan that God has and it's going to repair. Now, the argument against this would be, well, God planned for it to be that way. He planned for Adam and Eve to screw up. And I'm like, what, 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 what? I feel like Stone Cold Steve Austin right now. What? Right? I mean, it just, it doesn't make any sense. So there's not a lot of support for that in scripture. So election is not absent of faith or action. Abraham was elected, but he had to go. Abraham was elected. He was chosen, but he had to obey. His faith brought about the blessing. His humanity almost ruined it. His faith brought about the blessing. His humanity almost ruined it. Because when he and Sarah, his wife, decided to conceive a child with their maidservant, right, which was outside of the plan of God, they unified outside of the plan of God. God, after having promised them and shown them already that he is faithful and true to his word, who promised them a child well in, like in their 90s, right? In their 90s. Can you imagine having a child at 90? I'm exhausted today. I'm like, I could not even fathom. But he promises, you want a son, you want a child, I'm going to give you that child, right? 90 years old. And Abraham and Sarah said, ain't going to happen. So no way that could happen. So God's plan can't work, but you know what you should do? You should take my maidservant and impregnate her because that makes sense. God can't do it, but you can do it, right? You can do it. And so he brings uh, Hagar, right? Brings Hagar into his bed and not Sammy, by the way, brings Hagar into his bed and they have a son together. They have Ishmael. They unified outside the plan of God. And what is seen with God's instruction later to sacrifice Isaac, and we'll kind of break this down a little more, but Isaac is the promised son, right? The son that God said you shall have. They, they have him later. What does God call Abraham to do? He says, go to the mountain and sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. Now for us, that doesn't sound like a good God. It doesn't sound like a good God. I've got a newsflash for you. You ready? For, I don't think at any point ever Isaac was going to be sacrificed as a burnt offering. I don't think that's how God operates. That's not what God was doing. This was not some exercise in morbidity. What he was doing was seeing if Abraham had learned the error of his ways. If he would submit, if he would turn away from his own plan and his own ways and say, I will follow you, God, even to the most painful end, even to the most painful end, I will do what you ask me to do. And when Abraham showed his faith and his trust in God by taking Isaac up on that mountain and even saying, God's going to provide a sacrifice when Isaac was looking around like, hey, what are we burning today? And Abraham was like, you, <laughs> right? But it, he was like, God's going to provide. Don't, don't, God will provide. It was an exercise in faith. And Abraham passed the test. And so what takes place through him passing that test? The covenant remains strong. It remains intact. He wanted to see if Abraham had identified the error of his ways. And once he had done that, I want to take you back to verse 3. We were ensured that through Abraham's line, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through you, meaning him, meaning Abraham, right? That's what was reestablished. That's what was on the line. And here's another thing. Abraham was elected, but if he had failed once again, guess what? 
God's going to make another choice. I'm not saying that God's plans don't come to fruition, but I'm saying that sometimes God says, here's plan A and plan C and plan B and D. And I know I got the alphabet out of order. You don't have to tell me. And F all the way through Z, right? He's, he's got, he, he knows, he knows. But Abraham was able to reaffirm for God that he was the choice. When God tells Abraham, that the entirety of the world will be blessed through you. It's not just the world at present. It's all the world to come. And in this verse, we see the beginnings of something truly special about our faith. Here's what I want us to understand. The biblical view of salvation and blessing, it occurs through relationship. It occurs through relationship with God and with others. Blessing and salvation comes through relationship with God and with others. Shut up, phone. Sorry, silence. That's how it happens. Now, the majority of the world's religious systems focus on the individual's relationship with the deity, right? How can you align with the deity? And it's not that Christianity doesn't have an aspect of that but it is all about our relationship with Christ in order to obtain that salvation and be in relationship with the Father. And it is our relationship with others, the family of God, that helps keep us aligned with God's plan for our lives. It's how we stay on track, is being in relationship. It's how our salvation is proven. It's how our salvation is steadied. It's how we remain on point. Throughout Scripture, we see that salvation always comes through a connection with others. A connection with others. And what's beautiful is that the model of our faith is actually laid out in the Lord's Prayer. And I didn't realize it before this week of study. But if, listen to this. It's Matthew 6, 9-13. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We follow God's will through faith and participation in a community that is rooted deeply in forgiveness and surrender. This means that we trust God will take care of all of our needs. That's the surrender. God will provide. It's the promise he makes over and over again in each covenant he makes. Obey me, I will provide. Obey me, you will flourish. Do my will, you will find success. We also find it through forgiving others who have wronged us forgiving others who have wronged us and accepting forgiveness for those that, from those that we have wronged. That's a key part of this too. It's the thing that we struggle with the most. You ever been around somebody who just doesn't stop apologizing? I know I'm thinking of one individual. If he was here, I'd call him by name, right? But they know they've done wrong and they want you to know that. And they're just, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Don't be that person. Accept the 
Forgiveness. Accept the forgiveness. It is the design of God. And then turning everything over to the will of God. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, God, I will follow. Keep us from temptation. Deliver us from evil. Keep us from temptation. Deliver us from evil. When things in our life start going wrong, it's typically because we have failed to trust in God and we decide to work outside of the family. And when I say the family, I'm talking about this design of surrender and forgiveness and mutual participation. When we fail, it's because we put everything on our shoulders and we say, I'll just do it all. I'll just do it all. And that is not how we have been designed. It is not what God wants for us. It's what occurs on both occasions when Abraham pretends that his wife is actually his sister. If you guys haven't read the story of Abraham and Sarah, and I realize it's, if you've been in church at any point, chances are you've heard it. But if you haven't actually read it, I would challenge you, go to Genesis, start at Genesis 12, and just read through the story. It's, I mean, it is an epic. It is a movie waiting to happen. Twice he decides, you're too pretty for me. And if they think you're my wife, they're going to kill me to get you. So just tell everybody you're my sister. And so Pharaoh's like, hey, she's pretty. I'm going to marry her. Takes her as his wife. And then God's like, no, I told Abraham I'd protect him. Plague, right? Plague. And then Pharaoh's like, what in the world, dude? You said this was your sister. Are you telling me this is not your sister? He's like, actually, she's my third cousin. She just happens to also be my wife. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Right? And He's like, hey, don't do this to me. And he's like, I I release her from this marriage, whatever abracadabra he does, and take her. And then God like blesses. And Pharaoh's like, not only can you have a wife back, but I'm going to give you a bunch of donkeys and a bunch of servants and just like all this stuff. Look at that. Here you go. We call it a two for one, right? And it's also what happens when Abraham brought Hagar into his tent and decided, well, I guess I'm going to take care of God's promise all on my own. And they brought Ishmael into the world. And in each of these instances, what takes place is destruction. We already talked about the plagues that Egypt had experienced, but Sarah began to resent Hagar, which, is anyone surprised? I don't think so. Because Hagar's like, I gave him a son. And Sarah's like, I hate you now, right? Just like that. I'm sure that was the exact conversation that they had. And so it gets to this point where they have this kind of harmoniously nice family relationship where everybody was getting along and Hagar was serving her purpose. And then they gave Hagar a purpose that God had not designed for her. And then it just ruined everything to the point where Abraham had to send them away, right? He told Sarah, Hey, she's your servant. The decision's up to you. And she's like, get rid of them. So now Abraham, not only and Sarah, not only loses the servant, but Abraham loses a son and sends him away. You got to go. All of these experiences eventually led to the birth of Isaac, which, in my opinion, we already talked about their age, is the second most miraculous birth in all of Scripture, right? Maybe you guess who number one is. Jesus. And then what kind of happens from there is this really wicked sibling rivalry where it's like Isaac and Ishmael and which one's going to receive Abraham's blessing. But what also happens is that we get further enlightenment on election, which is this. And this is what I need everybody to understand today when we talk about election, the choice of God. 
Election is not merit-based. It is not merit-based. It's not they have received the desire of their heart because they are better than you or they have followed God more closely than you or God loves them more. That's not why what you have wanted to take place in your life has not happened. Be clear on that. It is not good versus evil. It is not good versus evil. It's not they have more closely followed the will of God and they have made better choices and so God has given them the desire of their heart. It's not that. That's not how God's choice works. It's not even right versus wrong. Because if we look at this story, if anything, Hagar and Ishmael are victims. They're victims. They're victims of God's people who chose to go outside of the will of God. Now, because God is good, he ensured blessing for Ishmael. But because God is unwavering, he elected Isaac. God has a plan for your life. I don't know the rhyme or reason. I'm not God. I know, shocking. I wish I could be up here today and I could give you these beautifully unfurled theological explanations about why your life has unfolded the way that it has. I can't do that. I don't know. I don't know why God has made the choices that he made. But this is what I do know. This is what I'm sure of. God has chosen you to be where you are, when you are, surrounded by those who are around you. You are living out God's plan for your life. And you have two options. You have two options. You can bring Hagar into your tent or you can say, God, I will wait on your time and I will wait on your purpose. One is faith and action and one promises blessing. The other is action, but there is no faith and that will lead to your destruction. There's no other option. What I want to challenge you with today is this. Last thing I'm going to say. Find the blessing in your circumstance. Find the blessing in your circumstance. It may be the hardest thing that you have to do. It may make you uncomfortable. It may make you angry. And you could sit here and say, yeah, but... Yeah, but I know I've been blessed with all these things. I know God has surrounded me and provided for me in all of these ways. But, but I want this. But I want this. And maybe that's just not God's will for your life. Man, that pains me to say it. But maybe it's just not God's will for your life. Maybe he has another plan. Another plan for you where you can find happiness and fulfillment and find your purpose and, and be confident and know that you are doing exactly what it is that God has called you to do. 
It's not right versus wrong. It's not good versus evil. You haven't done anything. I can't sit here and tell you that you deserve your pain and others who aren't experiencing it somehow deserve not to. All I can tell you, and I'm confident in this, because I've seen it play out in my own life, is that God does love you. And His plan for you is not an accident. It's not an accident. It's not without purpose. It just may not be exactly what you thought it would be. And I have found, and I, don't, I can't promise that this will be true for you, but I have found when I have made the decision finally to let go and let God, things have a funny way of working out how they are supposed to. Not how you want them to, how they are supposed to. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now and I thank you for this day and I thank you for who you are, God, and I thank, that, thank you for the fact that you have designed us with purpose and that we are not here by accident and that, God, you have a plan for our lives. You have something that you have meticulously thought about. You didn't just throw a dart at a board and say, so-and-so will have this and so-and-so will have this and so-and-so won't get this. And God, you have a plan. You have a purpose. You have a blessing. Sometimes that comes through pain and heartache. And it doesn't feel fair. And honestly, it's probably not. But who am I to question your plan for our lives? I am no one. I am here today and I am gone tomorrow. God, while I'm here, I'm going to choose to count my blessings. I'm going to choose to focus on what I do have and not what I don't have. I'm going to do my best to pack up my things, to gather those loved ones around me that are closest, and to go wherever it is you tell me to go. God, may I be a being built in the foundation of trust who follows you and your will for my life, even when it's difficult, even when it doesn't make sense. May I always have the conviction to choose your way when I really want to just choose mine. God, we ask for wisdom and peace and guidance. Really, Lord, what we want is your presence in our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. You know, I'm reminded later in the story of Abraham how he prayed for Lot, how God had a plan, and that plan was built in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and how that destruction would have taken Lot with him, and how Abraham prayed. He spoke to God, and he asked for God to change his plan. 
he asked for God to move in a different direction. And God listened. I think God cares. I think your prayers are important. I think your petitions are heard. I think the answer can still be no. But I also think that sometimes God can say, you know what? Yes. So if there's something that you need to pray about today, if there's something that you need to lift up to God today, then I would ask that you come pray with me. Come use our stage as an altar. Grab somebody next to you and ask them, would you mind praying for me? Be vulnerable enough. Be strong enough to tell them what you're going through. Have somebody intercede on your behalf. You know someone in this place is struggling with something that you're struggling with. Circle up. Let the family of God intercede for you. Be strong for one another. If you need prayer, pray. Prayer changes things. And if you need God, it's kind of rhetorical, I guess, because we all need God. But if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you can't say, yeah, he's my personal Lord and Savior, which is really some old school terminology, I know, but if you can't say that today, then you need to talk to me or someone about that today. Because there is not a more important question to be answered in your life than do I belong in God's family? The answer, of course, is yes. But election requires faith and action. So step out today and accept him as your Lord and Savior. If you want to talk about membership, we would love to have you join our church. We are welcome for everyone. Arms wide open. Talk to me about that after service. Okay, after service. Right now, otherwise, stand, worship, reflect, pray in your seat. Come pray with me. Pray with others. But let's give God his due. Because he is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. Stand with me now and let's worship.